It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And thank you very much for subscribing. If you haven't, that's very hurtful, but you can remedy that by going to thepetecalendarshow.com, clicking on the subscribe button, and then you're subscribed. And uh, now it's not so hurtful. So I appreciate that. Uh, we've got a win in court and the weaponization of a nearly 30-year-old school funding case here in North Carolina. I'll give you details on that. Uh, first, thank you to the patrons that help make the show possible. Folks like Jeff and Nicole, Manuel, Karen, Sarah and Frank, Janet and Robbie, uh, John, Brian, Dan, Joseph, and Shan. Thank you very much. They all became patrons of the program. You can as well. Going to thepetecalendershow.com and uh, click the link that's at the top there. You get access to the uh, exclusive content, uh, like the live streams and such. We have a lot of fun doing those on Thursday nights. Uh, and also bumper stickers. All right. So joining me now is Dr. Terry Stoops. He is the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. You can read his work uh, at carolinajournal.com, but also at johnlocke.org. And uh, welcome back, sir. How are you? Oh, very good. Thanks for having me. Certainly. So uh, we've got some developments in the Leandro case. And for folks who uh, may be new to North Carolina or they don't follow uh, the education policy debates very closely. But this this term now, I think, has probably gotten into the minds of a lot of folks over the uh, the recent years because it's just become uh, sort of prevalent in all discussions about budgets and education. But let's start with the fundamental. What is Leandro? What is the Leandro case? Sure. Well, in 1994, a group of parents filed a lawsuit against the state uh, to to try to get the state to provide uh, more money, essentially, to low-income districts. And um, it, Leandro is the last name of the son of one of the plaintiffs in that case. And uh, that son, by the way, is an attorney now at a, a very prominent law firm in, in North Carolina. But in 1994, they filed this case. And it was one of a slew of cases that were being filed at the time against states uh, in order to try to get them to fork over more money based on a what amounts to a very vague constitutional provision for education that every state has in their constitution. It was decided by the North Carolina Supreme Court and then the case was remanded. In other words, it was moved to a superior court in Wake County where a judge by the name of Howard Manning was charged with overseeing the implementation of Leandro in order, in other words, making sure that the state did what it said it was supposed to do in providing what's called a sound basic education, which is the phrase that we hear so often with Leandro. And it has been in that superior court ever since. Now, it's been handed over to a new judge, Judge David Lee, and Judge Lee uh, is now presiding over the case that in 2017 uh, took a different kind of twist. In the past, the plaintiffs and defendants were at odds, as usually occurs in, in the courts, uh, in, in any sort of court case. But then the plaintiffs and the defendants got together and said, let's stop fighting 
and let's get the court a report that tells us how the state is supposed to implement the Leandro or constitutional requirement for the opportunity for a sound basic education. And that's where West Ed, a California-based consultant, comes into the into play here. They are they were the ones that were charged with developing this report. The report was published. And now uh, we are dealing with this report and how it is supposed to be implemented um, in the state. Uh, now that the courts have accepted this report as being the detailed plan that will provide the state guidance going forward in the implementation of this Leandro case. So first off, um, you mentioned 1994, like it doesn't seem that long ago, I guess, to people that like are my age, but like that's I, I graduated high school in 92. So that was now 30 years ago. That's how long this has been going on. The sound basic education line that comes right from our Constitution in North Carolina, right? That's lifted right from the from the text. Oh, it actually isn't. And this ah. is the interesting part about it is that was the phrase that was provided by the uh, North Carolina Supreme Court in interpreting what the Constitution says about providing education, because the Constitution is very vague about this. Most state constitutions are very vague that just essentially says, OK, state, you have to set up a system of public education for everyone. The the judges in the case said we interpret that to mean that every student receives a sound basic education. And that's how they're able to really take it to the level that they are, because our Constitution is so vague about the matter. All this time I've been covering this for 15, 20 years and like. I always thought that came right out of the Constitution. I guess I've exposed that I've not read the North Carolina Constitution uh, on the education front. But um, the uh, but this sound basic education principle, the court has determined, right, that there are these three pillars of this um, uh, of the sound basic education. You're talking principals, teachers and resources. Do I have that part right? Yeah, that's right. And, and, you know, even the courts really haven't gotten to detail exactly what they that means, because they'll say things like, well, we need a qualified teacher in every classroom, a qualified uh, administrator in every school and resources to be able to provide students the education that they're constitutionally uh, required to have. But, uh, you know, how do you measure what a good teacher is? Well, I can tell you doing education research for decades that we still don't have a reliable measure of what, how to determine a good teacher um, before they enter the classroom. So, so this has always been very vague, and that's really where this West Ed Consulting Group comes in, is that they believe that they have the magic formula. They describe the formula in a very lengthy report, and this formula that has been agreed to by the plaintiffs and the defendants and the judge are now trying to set the policy and funding priorities for the state for at minimum the next eight years. So it's I, I, I meant to ask you this uh, earlier, but I'll ask it now. Um, who are the plaintiffs and the defendants? Now, you mentioned that the Leandro kid is now a 40 year old uh, practicing law. Uh, and so who are the plaintiffs now? Who were the defendants in this case? Well, the plaintiffs are mostly a. Uh, are still parents and school districts represented by a number of different attorneys. Um, so we're, we're looking at uh, special interest groups that have become a part of the lawsuit through the years, school districts, 
and of course, all the parents now that their children are adults, so they're, they're not much of a, an issue here. The defendants are the state of North Carolina as defended by the um, attorney general's office and the state board of education. And interestingly enough, the state board of education a couple of years ago tried to get out of this. They're like, this is a bunch of nonsense. We don't want to be part of it anymore. And the judge at that point, Judge Lee said, no, you have to stay a part of it. Now, what makes this all very interesting is I have never said anything about the general assembly being a part of it right. because they're not. And they are not a party to this case but this case discusses the General Assembly a lot. And so that's where the difficulty comes in is that those that are holding the purse strings, those that are constitutionally charged with collecting and spending taxpayer dollars, that is the General Assembly, are not a party to this case, but are very much involved in it. So, all right, this, you mentioned the State Board of Education and that they tried to get out of this, but the State Board of Education doesn't control the funding. So if it's a question of funding, what does the State Board of Ed have to do with any of this? Well, that's that's a good question. Uh, the State Board of Education's role is really a regulatory one, is that they make rules and regulations related to uh, the the education system in the state. And there are parts of the West Ed report that require changes to rules and regulations, but they're very minor. And honestly, I can tell you that the plaintiffs and defendants or the plaintiffs in particular probably don't care as much about the rules and regulations as they do about the money. Right. Because the money <laughs> is the issue. <laughs> right. So now you mentioned that uh, everything took a turn in 2017. Now, I seem to recall something happened in 2017. Um, stop me if this sounds crazy, but there was an election and somebody else took office in 2017 or sorry in uh well yeah no and that would have been in 20 uh in 2012 and you've got a new governor and now he is able to make changes to uh the direction of certain things maybe an attorney general who's now willing to make a deal issue a settlement agreement or something with the board of ed that now is comprised of a majority of appointees from the the governor like i'm i'm just I'm just spitballing this idea out there because Governor Cooper has done this before, right? I mean, this is the sue and settle kind of strategy. That's what it sounds like. And and you're right on target here. I don't think it's any coincidence here that now that you have a sympathetic governor in office, then you start seeing these moves played. As you mentioned, Governor Cooper appoints members to the State Board of Education. So that's a big component of this. Governor Cooper himself established the Commission on Access to a Sound Basic Education, his own task force to basically say, yeah, we agree with the Westhead Report, sounds good to us. And so now that you have, the, you have that group basically affirming what the Westhead Consulting Group did, um, the, the governor has been a, a absolutely key part of this whole thing because you will hear him talk about Leandro all the time. It's it's part of the left strategy, by the way, um, it, which which shouldn't surprise anyone. But the more interesting part is Governor Cooper submitted a budget to the General Assembly very recently that laid out every funding priority that was in the West Ed report. He said, if you want to know how to fund education in North Carolina, you have to do everything these California-based consultants said that we should do. So his governor, his, uh, the governor's budget was modeled on 
the West Ed reports. And so they really had the idea here that we can't get the General Assembly. General Assembly is still a majority of Republicans. So let's, instead of going that route, try to get the courts to tell them to spend the money that we think they should be spending in a way that we think they should be spending it. And this is the classic using the courts to try to push a duly elected legislature in a way that is contrary to how that legislature wants to go. And that's exactly what we have here in the last few years with the Leandro case. More with Dr. Stoops in a moment. First, uh, if you are looking to upgrade your bed, why would you pay for a bigger mattress when you don't have to? You can get the big mattress, but you can pay for a smaller mattress. Does that sound like a good deal to you? So like a king size mattress, but you only pay for a queen or a queen size mattress, but you only pay the price of a twin. It's a free upgrade. That's what I'm calling it at Mattress Man, a free upgrade. Kings for the price of queens, queens for the price of twins. Mattressmanstores.com. Go check out their inventory at mattressmanstores.com or go on into any of their four locations in Hendersonville, Asheville and Arden. They've got their new store on Airport Road in the IHOP Shopping Center. Go check it out. Uh, Tell them you heard it here on the show. They are an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection, inspired by our local landmark uh, here in Asheville, the Biltmore Estate. It's made by Restonic in Fayetteville. You get free local five-star delivery service, and you have a 120-day comfort guarantee. They do ship nationwide as well. Uh, They have tons of flexible financing options, like no interest for two years. So uh, let them work with you. If you've got bad credit, it's okay. Um, They want you... Look, a a good night's sleep is too important here, okay? Trust me. Like, I slept on an air mattress when I first moved up to Asheville, and I was working up here. I was living out of a hotel for a while, and then uh, I got an apartment, and I was sleeping on an air mattress. For almost a year, I slept on an air mattress, okay? I know the value of a good mattress. Go to Mattress Man, um, and they're local. You know, that's why I say buy local, sleep better. It's a win-win, and they're going to support. They do support local charities and veterans organizations, and so uh, you're not only, you know, helping local business, but you're helping local people as well. Uh, go experience the difference at Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and, yes, yeah, sleep better. I'm speaking with Terry Stoops. He is the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. Um, so there's there was a hearing, right? Because this this West Ed report and they they put out this what the comprehensive remedial plan is that and that comes from the West Ed report. Do I have that correct? That is correct, and that's just that that comprehensive remedial plan was just a year by year. Uh, roadmap into implementing the recommendations in the West Ed report. And so that's an eight-year plan? Eight-year plan, uh, at minimum around $8 billion. Uh, a lot of part of the, the, the remedial plan said, well, let's we're going to do a study and figure out how much to, for example, pay teachers in the future. So we're talking at least uh, doubling the education budget as it's current, the state education budget as is currently currently written. So this is you wrote a piece uh, talking about the weaponization of Leandro. This is what you're talking about, right? The the use of courts in order to force legislatures to fund priorities that the legislatures might not actually prefer to prioritize. That's exactly right, uh, because this was an entire strategy concocted by the left in the first place in the early 90s to try to get 
what what they consider to be stingy legislators to spend as much money as they thought they should be spending um and they they want to extract as much money from taxpayers as possible to to spend uh, money in education based on their priorities and this was a strategy that really came to a head here at this hearing that was unfortunately not covered very much uh, on uh, on um, uh, april 13th with judge lee the expe expectation of the plaintiffs and the defendants was that judge lee was going to sign an order telling the general assembly that they had to spend this money and he refused to do so and that's where we are right now a judge that recognized that north carolina constitution doesn't tell the courts how to spend the money doesn't empower the courts and tell them that they are allowed to spend the money or allowed to tell the legislature how to spend the money instead the courts and the separation of powers that are embedded in the north carolina constitution says that that is a power that's reserved for the general assembly and the judge actually said that the constitution uh is is clear on the matter and he will not sign an order telling the general assembly how to spend the money he specifically said that or he, did he leave you, do you think he left the door open or anything for well, that possibility he did, he did leave the door open he he kept talking about cooperation yeah. he wanted everyone to get along and so there's always the possibility that he does this but i think that this is a first of all really positive thing but but more than anything this gives the general assembly now an opportunity to ask the tough questions ask the tough questions about this west ed report that is full of holes and misinterpretations and and is shoddy in, in a lot of ways um I, i've gone through it in in, uh, in a few pieces that i've written and i found areas where uh it's disagreed with itself areas where there's no research to back up the uh, claims that are being made or the recommendations that are being offered. And so I hope that the General Assembly now, when this cooperation is supposed to take place, really ask the tough questions that haven't been asked of the West Ed report of the plaintiffs and defendants in the case. So uh, in one of your pieces, you're at the Leandro Long Game and um, you talk about some of these uh, these shortcomings. You wrote of the dozens of recommendations included in the plan, 17 action items have no cost estimate included, <laughs> which seems that seemed I was kind of it was kind of odd to me because it's like at a price tag that they're talking a billion a year. Uh, it seems to me like you would just throw everything into that. Um, but they're, they're so they're making proposals, right, that don't have any cost estimates attached to them. Um, and there is also this component of teacher and instructional support salaries and uh, the use of a, a salary comparability study. So do you want to uh, go into that a little? Yeah, absolutely. This is absolutely critical because the report lays out that the teacher pay increases for the first two years would amount to about a half billion dollars. And and then after that, there are blank spaces. That's because the court is supposed to uh, then have at their disposal this salary comparability study that compares the pay of North Carolina teachers to other professions in the states. And of course, that gets <laughs> that's a really iffy proposition because, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, did, are we going to start comparing the pay of teachers to software engineers and and other professionals that are of highly technical uh, expertise? 
then we start to see some distortion of the argument of how much we should pay teachers. And so if that finds that teachers should be making 80, 90, $100,000 a year on average, then the cost, the annual cost of teacher pay increases will be astronomical. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot riding on a report uh, written by, we're not sure yet because there hasn't been any moves in trying to get this report written, but based on one report, one interpretation of the data, one interpretation of how much we should pay teachers may lead to billions and billions of additional expenditures by the state on uh, just teacher salaries alone, let alone all of the other things that are in the report, all the other non-classroom expenditures, all the administrators, and all the DPI employees that would be added if the report's uh, recommendations were fully implemented. All right, let me take a minute here. Uh, we'll get back to the interview with Dr. Stoops in a second. First, what are you doing on Saturday? Can I interest you in a demo day, the Husqvarna Demo Day? It is a general equipment rental. You get to try out any Husqvarna equipment you want to. And they've got great deals on uh, in-stock handhelds 20% off manufacturer suggested retail price 20% off all of the in-stock handheld uh, tools so we're talking like gas powered and battery powered so chainsaws and blowers and trimmers and hedge clippers and pole saws and brush cutters and cutoff saws um, you can get the battery kits for the Husqvarna tools so you know one battery a charger the chainsaw kit also comes with a chain um, you can get special financing deals, and they're raffling off a chainsaw as well. So it's going on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. This is this Saturday, uh, so that's April 24th. Um, and uh, if you go on out there, I, I'm going to try to get out there because, well, Christy's getting her next vaccine, her second vaccine shot. And so depending on how she feels... You know, I may need to be around to help her if she's like feeling under the weather or whatever after the second shot, or we may both be out there. So we're going to see. But nine to three, uh, it is at uh, General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. And tell them you heard it here on the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. They got a big event planned for the whole day. So uh, head on out there, take advantage of the great deals. You can also see uh, the equipment that's uh, for sale and the prices at generalrents.com. Generalrents.com. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Think outside your toolbox. My guest is Dr. Terry Stoops. He is the director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. You mentioned the price tag on this and the money. Um, luckily, though, uh, right, there was some money that they had their eye on <laughs> to maybe pay for some of this. Nothing like some one-time money to pay for ongoing expenses it's sort of the it's sort of the democratic party way they this is how uh, you, you're old enough to remember this you were doing this for a long time right so this is the way the democrats ran their budgets right they would take one-time money from the feds and use it to give teacher pay raises and then oh my gosh we're we have a budget deficit you know let's not sunset that sales tax let's not give people their tax refunds <laughs> that's absolutely right i mean we've been down this road so many times during the recession we had one-time money come down and a bunch of administrators were hired. And of course we couldn't fire them after that one-time money ran out. So they were all hired at the Department of Public Instruction. And the, you know, this, we, we're, we'd be right back in the same boat where we would use one-time money. And then because we're too compassionate to fire people that shouldn't have been hired in the first place, we'll get them all hired on the state's uh, payroll. 
Right. And so this the the latest iteration of this is the uh, the covid money, right? The coronavirus relief bill. Uh, they're looking at the one time money. It's it, it really is like it isn't. It, it's a window into the mindset of, uh, well, lack of budgeting prowess. Right? Like, <laughs> I, I, like it, it, it never it, it, it never ceases to surprise me that people still make this pitch. Hey, why don't we take one time money and use it for ongoing operational expenses? Uh, I, I, I don't get it. Um, you also mentioned in one of your pieces about the advocacy campaign that has been underway. And I've I've seen it. Um, there's been a big push over the last year, although I am kind of curious when you wrote about the the advocacy campaign that 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 was starting um and then covid happens and then the ncae pressures school districts to keep the schools closed like what do you think the impact of of the union activity is on this push to get more money uh part of this advocacy campaign well, they, they are a, a, a very specific part of it, and they're a very strong part of it. If you go on Twitter and did hashtag lead with Leandro, you can see the kaleidoscope of organizations that are involved in this effort. Uh, they're all housed under an umbrella called Every Child North Carolina. And this was their sole, Every Child North Carolina's sole focus was to try to get support for people to talk about Leandro, to say the name Leandro, and, and they've been successful. If you, if you go back and you listen to a lot of the speeches by Governor Cooper with regard to education, with the North Carolina Association of Educators, you will hear Leandro repeated again and again. So there is an active advocacy campaign to try to get uh, and and I don't know where it goes from here because the idea was to try to get the courts to force the General Assembly to spend the money. And now that they're not willing to do that, they're going to have to shift their gears a bit. But the union activity that we have in North Carolina, I think, is more significant than a lot of people think. Yes, the organization has shrunk. Yes, there are many fewer members of the North Carolina Association of Educators than there has been. But they are making an effort to try to recruit new members and they're active on social media. And of course, they were the instrumental group in ensuring that our schools were closed um, for, for months on end. And, and of course, instrumental trying to keep them closed long after the federal government said, let's get those uh, schools open. They were still trying to find ways to keep them closed and still trying to find ways to leverage what little influence they have left over the over legislators and school boards to try to to, to keep them that way. They, it seems like they've got power uh, definitely inside the Democratic Party, right? They've got power there. Uh, otherwise, why would you know Democratic leadership uh, fall in line? Um, although I would, I guess you know Cooper did eventually give school boards the ability to kind of break ranks and and go against the union wishes, right? So I guess that's an an indication that their power was waning. But they they seem to have these little enclaves, usually in the larger districts, right, where they have more membership and they've got a little bit more influence in those uh, elections, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Durham, Wake, Mecklenburg County, Guilford County, there really are large contingents, fairly large contingents. Now, statewide, they only have, uh, at last estimate, around 17,500 members, so uh, out of 100,000 teachers. Uh, so statewide, they have very little influence. And in rural communities, uh, in, in certain regions in the state, uh, they are basically a non-entity. And, and they are one of the most radical groups if you look at their leadership yeah. what their leadership has said they are an absolutely radical group i mean the the president of the north carolina association association of educators has denied that learning loss is a real thing the vice president has been active in some of the socialist politics has sort of been tinkering with that kind of stuff uh so this is a radical contingent that is leading the ncae whether that leads to a larger membership base or not remains to be seen but it should be uh mentioned that even after their marches on um, Raleigh in 2018 and 2019, their membership continued to decline. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, maybe we're going to see that trend be reversed due to their radical policies or that trend continue and teachers see the light. Now, you know, speaking of teachers, if you're a teacher in the Asheville area and you're looking to buy or sell a home, do you know that you can keep 25% of the realtor commissions, you can if you use Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team uh, to buy or sell your home. Who is the only, They're the only agents I would recommend, and they're the only agents I called when Christy and I uh, started to buy our house, and we're in the process right now. Uh, her phone number is 828-333-4483. She's the official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville, and this is the program that gives teachers, but also police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees, along with teachers, 25% back from the Realtor Commissions, uh, and she's given back about $800,000 so far to folks in those five fields. So keep more of your own money and get your dream home or get out of the home that you're trying to get out of quickly and for more money. She outsells 99% of the realtors in the state. So give her a call, 828-333-4483. That's 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So Dr. Terry Stoops, um, do you know anything about the new teachers union? I know this is sort of like out of left field or maybe out of right field. Um, <laughs> that This new, <laughs> was a classroom teachers association or something? Do you know anything about them? Yeah, the Carolina Teachers Alliance is a group uh, that I am familiar with because uh, some of the founders are here in Wake County, and I know them very well. This is a group that's designed to be an alternative to the North Carolina Association of Educators, but yet still give teachers benefits such as um, uh, liability insurance that a lot of teachers uh, hmm. uh, desire. Uh, and perhaps uh, have a working relationship with members of the General Assembly. Now, I don't know what kind of how active their uh, government affairs arm is going to be, but I can tell you that the North Carolina Association of Educators has no influence at the General Assembly, and none of their policies are, are ever going to get uh, passed by the General Assembly because they've alienated Republicans so thoroughly mm -hmm. that uh, if teachers really want to have a voice, they need to have a group that uh, can appeal to Republican lawmakers. And I think that's one of the things that the Carolina Teachers Alliance is going to be able to do. I wish them the absolute best. Um, I think a lot of teachers are going to be inspired by their message. I think they're going to recognize that 
if there's going to be a teacher's organization that represents them, uh, represents those that are uh, moderates or conservatives in the classroom, it's definitely not going to be the NCAE. It's going to be the CTA. Now, you mentioned the budgets. I wanted uh, one last point I wanted to hit with you because and this kind of ties into the NCAE as well. But um, teachers have not gotten raises in a couple of years now. Um, the Republicans have offered them raises. <laughs> They've tried to give them raises. But Governor Cooper has vetoed uh, these raises in service uh, for other um uh, budget priorities, right? He's tried to expand Medicaid, and he's right. tried to leverage the teacher pay uh, as an issue to force Republicans to the table to agree to expand Medicaid in exchange for giving teachers pay raises. And then the teachers union, uh, they said, yeah, 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 we're totally fine. Go ahead and don't give us the pay raise if you can expand Medicaid, which I think really, I mean, it kind of laid bare the political machinations going on there, right? So why, to your point, why would Republicans uh, want to deal with this organization? But despite all of that, I saw this piece at um, Carolina Journal that the teacher pay is now over $54,000. The average teacher pay in the state is over $54,000, which is pretty good. I mean, it's a pretty good salary for an average salary. That's right. That That is the statewide average is calculated by the Department of Public Instruction. And it has been stagnant because the year before the governor vetoed uh, budgets and failed to listen to Republicans who were offering various pay raises for teachers. And then last year, COVID hit. So there were some uh, budgetary worries that the state would be uh, have insufficient funds uh, just for its daily operations. So there was no substantial raise there. But, uh, you know, the one uh, aspect that you also have to mention when we talk about teacher salaries is the, yes, it's, it's uh, the average is approaching $55,000 a year. It's the second highest in the Southeast, second only to Georgia. So teacher salaries are faring well, but the benefits, the benefit package being over $20,000 a year because there's such a substantial amount being paid for uh, health insurance, for pensions, and for uh, the, the other things that we provide, social security payments on behalf of teachers, those three aspects, uh, those three components alone would add up to about $20,000. And that doesn't even include all, uh, some of the other things that are added to the uh, teacher's benefit package. So we provide the average teacher with a compensation package that is around 75, even over $75,000 a year. And with the increasing costs of health insurance, with the increasing costs to pensions, those are eating up a lot of the state's money and actually makes it much more difficult for the state to be able to provide teacher pay raises every year because they are demanding so much more of the public purse. So teachers are provided a very substantial amount of money, even though they don't recognize it sometimes, uh, through their entire benefits package. And the state has made absolute uh, tremendous inroads. For example, in 2014, the average teacher pay was only around uh, $45,000 a year. So we're looking at a 20% increase since 2014 in the average teacher pay. And that's just in salary alone, not including the substantial amount of money that's set aside for benefits. So 
Um, th this is an important part of the story. I think that the General Assembly, honestly, is going to offer a fairly decent-sized pay increase to teachers this year. Whether it'll be enough or not, and whether it'll be enough for the governor to resist uh, taking out his veto stamp <laughs> remains to be seen. Well, and I remember when Pat McCrory was governor, and the first thing he did was, and the General Assembly did, was to front load the pay raises to get the new teachers up to... Um, you know, a, a, a decent wage. Uh, what it was, they started 35K and mm -hmm. uh, annual, essentially, you know, 15 steps, guaranteed $1,000 increases for the first 15 years. That gets you to 50 grand in 50 years. And the, the purpose there, and I understood the purpose because McCrory, when he was mayor in Charlotte, they did the same thing to the firefighters. They said, um, well, I should say for the firefighters, which was to pour a bunch of money on the front end so this way you don't lose people. You don't train them up and then lose them, right? Um, but now you're right. recommending focusing on the 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 veterans and uh, the the mid-career uh, teachers because, and that's who I've heard from. They're like, oh, we, you know, we're not getting any of these pay raises. It's all just the rookies. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, this has been the plan all along that we were so uncompetitive with our starting pay that the General Assembly and Governor McQuarrie said, we're going to make that competitive. And, and we are competitive. Uh, a starting teacher here in Wake County, for example, is going to be with their local supplement is going to be starting out at about $42,000 a year. That's with a bachelor's degree and no experience. And so teachers, uh, we, 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 they worked on that. They got that uh, addressed. Now for those mid and later career teachers, there is probably going to be a pretty uh, sizable pay increase, I think, embedded in the uh, state budget for those teachers. And that was been the plan all along. And I think that was the right plan because um, we knew where we needed to be competitive. And now it's about retaining some of our more experienced teachers and making sure that the salaries that they receive are commensurate with with their experience. Now, I think we need to change the way we pay teachers because paying them all based on experience yeah. is not a wise way to do it. But uh, we are starting to move in that direction slowly. But I think the General Assembly is on the right path. I have always said, uh, well, not always, but for years, I have said um, that I am interested in paying great teachers six figures, but I refuse to pay the bad ones the same amount of money because they're not worth it. And we've all had bad teachers. Like there's there like there's there's this fantasy I think that like oh every teacher is a fantastic teacher. No, they're not. I've had some. Everyone has had some. So uh, it's just right. divorced from reality. And that doesn't mean I hate teachers. <laughs> all right. Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Terry? That you think is important or interesting to note on any of this before I let you go? Uh, no, I, I think we, we hit all the, the major points. Um, just looking forward to see what the budget looks like yeah. here in the next few weeks. And, um, you know, we, we are uh, continuing to work uh, on uh, school choice uh, issues here at the Locke Foundation. So uh, we're happy to see that uh, school choice is uh, now mainstream and yeah. is now a significant <laughs> part of the uh, makeup of, of North Carolina student population. When you have w over at this point, uh, um, uh, 21% of students in schools of choice, I think we're on the right path. Is it that high now, 21%? That's right, uh, and growing. And that wow. is just based on last year's numbers, doesn't even account what we expect to be a major bump from COVID, right. especially in homeschooling. Uh, 
we're we're going to approach 25 percent when we do you're, you're going to hear the uh, celebration from my office in raleigh <laughs> well and I, I i've said this over the last year that if the parents and lawmakers and folks like you that are in the trenches of this battle um if 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 this can't if covid can't prompt uh, a reimagining of education i don't know when there's a better opportunity to do this this has got to be the time so uh that's right good luck to you Hope, hopefully uh, you know hopefully it it, it works um because i think it's it's best for the kids and um and best for taxpayers as well uh terry uh, terry stoops dr terry stoops he is the director of the center for effective education at the john locke foundation you can read his work at carolinajournal.com and johnlock.org thanks so much dr stoops i appreciate it oh thanks for having me all right. I've got some other developments, actually, in the world of North Carolina education. I'll get to in a second. First, you need to get down to Old Grouch's Military Surplus. You do. Downtown Clyde on Main Street. I'm looking at the website. It's got real U.S. military canteen cup stoves for just $9.95. Uh, these are really cool for camping, obviously. Um, he's got duffel bags. Uh, I'm looking at uh, military cam buckle straps. He's got canvas by the yard. Um, he's got vehicle-related items. He's got gift cards as well. So that's a great uh, gift idea for the hard-to-find uh, person that uh, that you're trying to buy, like a birthday gift for or something. Military dog tags. These are really cool, too, with the silencers around them, you know, the, the rubber pieces around the edges so they don't clink, 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 clink all over the place. Um, he's got wool-lined gloves, although it's not really glove season, I know, but um, he's got tons of gear outdoor equipment and such so head on over to old grouch's military surplus or go to the website oldgrouch.com and uh, the shop is open monday through saturday on main street downtown clyde across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and of course 24 7 at oldgrouch.com all righty so the uh teacher attrition rate you know what this means teacher attrition means how many teachers are quitting and uh, a few years ago uh, a lot was made about this uh, data point because the Democrats, this was, uh, gosh, probably four years ago, Democrats were in the General Assembly were arguing that uh, Republicans don't care about teachers. I know, brand new argument, but that's, that's what they were arguing. And uh, this and the proof of this could be found in how many teachers are leaving the profession because they don't feel respected. And uh, the teacher attrition number is important to understanding the uh, the argument. And when you know this data, you start to realize pretty quickly how uh, Democrats and the teachers union plays fast and loose with these stats, um, because most of the teachers that leave, they leave to take other teaching jobs. Yeah, I mean, when they're not retiring, they're just teaching They're They're taking other teaching gigs in the in the state of North Carolina or they move out of state, but they're staying in the profession. They're not like leaving the profession and they're not even leaving the state. They just left that job at that school. So uh, for a number of reasons, and actually uh, believe memory serves, the most prevalent reason is uh, change in their family uh, uh, lifestyle or, or um, uh, employment issues. So in other words, their, uh, their spouse gets another job and the teacher is able to transfer very easily. That's one of the things about being a teacher. It allows for mobility inside the state of North Carolina, but also across America. If you have teaching credentials, you can go to basically any state anywhere and probably find a job, right? And for people in the private sector, not so much. Trust me, I'm in radio. You know how many people do the job of a talk show host in North Carolina? 
Very, very few. Like you can literally count them on one hand. That's how many people are employed doing this kind of work. So uh, before the coronavirus shuttered schools, more teachers were staying in North Carolina classrooms. The state succeeded in lowering its teacher attrition rate even after the budget stalemate froze teacher pay. The state lost seven and a half percent of its workforce, its teaching workforce. And the teaching workforce is like 94,000 teachers plus. So 7.53% uh, left. Now, nobody knows how the coronavirus pandemic and remote learning will affect the state's ability to keep teachers in the classrooms. Uh, the state has yet to release the new data. But just 7,110 teachers left the profession from March 2019 through March 2020. So that's the previous year before the pandemic. Okay, and this, by the way, um, is a piece written by Julie Havlak and uh, at the uh, Carolina Journal. And she says that there's a draft a report that's due to the General Assembly that outlines these data points. Um, the seven percent, seven and a half percent attrition rate. Uh, is actually lower than it was the previous year, but only by a little bit, like 0.06%. But uh, it was down by uh, about half a full percent from the year before that. Okay, so it's been trending down. It's like 8.1%, 7.59, 7.53. And remember, you're always going to have some bit of churn in your employment, right? Of course you are. People are going to quit. They're going, you know, their spouses are going to get reassigned or uh, get another job someplace, whatever. People make all sorts of decisions like this all the time. So uh, you're going to have a certain percentage of churn. Teachers have been waiting on raises ever since budget negotiations collapsed in 2019. And um, Cooper vetoed all of the budgets as we went over with uh, Dr. Terry Stoops. Meanwhile, legislators are proposing a $1,000 tax credit for each homeschooled child. Interest in homeschooling has surged during the pandemic, and Republican lawmakers in the state Senate want to give those families tax relief. Senate Bill 297 is going to give homeschool families a $1,000 credit off state income taxes for each dependent child per year. Okay, The tax credit would be non-refundable, meaning that it only applies against any taxes owed. The credit would kick in beginning in, in the 2021 tax year, so a year from now. Parents who oversee their kids' virtual learning at home through a public school or a private school, they would not qualify. Okay, so this is not like the um, the COVID relief bill that the Democrats rammed through, uh, where they gave all of the federal employees who had to stay home and take care of the kids during COVID, they all got $1,000 a week. To do that, uh, we're, yeah, sorry, parents who had to do that, you're not getting that from the state. Uh, maybe if you go to work for the federal government. Senator Chuck Edwards, Republican from Henderson County, families of homeschooled students have been left out of the conversation of education funding for far too long, he said. When, child, uh, when a child is educated at home, the state avoids tremendous costs for school construction and operation. These families also pay taxes, so it's only fair that a portion of their tax dollars uh, is returned to help offset their expenses. Now, uh, this is what Democrats refer to as siphoning money away from public schools. <laughs> this is right because to them, even though the kid isn't there and the kid isn't using any resources in the in the school. Democrats believe that the kids' uh, residence in the county should dictate 
the contribution to the school. And if the kid stays home is being homeschooled, they don't care. They uh, they still want that kid and the parent to pay the full freight as if the kid was going to school. So now this is uh, it's a little something, something. It's a thousand dollars. It's not too bad. And for a lot of people, it's basically just going to offset the uh, the cost, you know, in the property tax bill. But still, it's I, I think this is a good idea. Homeschool enrollment in North Carolina has increased by 78 percent in the past decade. As of August 2020, North Carolina had over 101,000 homeschools listed in the state homeschool directory. That's almost it's like a 6.9 percent increase over the previous year. There are now over 150,000 homeschool students across the state. By comparison, so 150,000 homeschool students. That's the size of Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Charlotte Mecklenburg schools has like 149,000 students. The number of homeschool students is 150. That's massive. Senate Bill 297. Um, is one of several measures introduced that could expand uh, school choice. House Bill 32 would increase the maximum tuition reimbursement. Now it's set at $4,200 a year for the Opportunity Scholarship Program. So this would be uh, an increase in the vouchers. Um, It would also combine the Children with Disabilities Grant and the Education Savings Account into one program to ensure adequate funding and to reduce wait lists. Um, This bill, by the way, is still, at the last time I checked, it's still in the Rules Committee. Um, Now, there are similar bills. I went and looked up. There are similar bills like this working their way through legislatures across America. New Hampshire, uh, their Senate passed uh, a voucher bill. Uh, West Virginia, they've got a bill. It's on its way to the governor's desk as well. Meanwhile, um, the Opportunity Scholarship Program I mentioned is uh, up for an expansion. The state Senate is looking to expand um, the uh, who qualifies. Okay, so a family could make up to 175% of the federal reduced price lunch level. Okay, so that's what they base it on is whatever your income is that qualifies you for the uh, federal, you know, free and reduced lunch or FRL program. Um, they use that uh, income level. This is Senate Bill 671. Um, it would increase the scholarship award amount from the current max of $4,200. It would go from $4,200 to $6,500. Under the bill, a single mother making less than $56,400 would be eligible to receive an opportunity scholarship for her child. So this is the number you need to remember, 56K. So the next time you find yourself in a discussion with a, you know, an activist, an advocate, uh, you know, a a misinformed but, uh, you know, totally correct (laughs) uh, friend or family member, when they start going on about, uh, how, you know, vouchers only benefit the rich. We'll say to them, okay, so is a rich person, would you consider a single mom uh, making $56,000 a year? Would you consider her to be rich? That's the number. And if they say yes, then okay, well, she she would be able to qualify for a scholarship uh, for her kids under this. And so if you consider single mom, 56K, you consider that to be rich, then I guess it's open for the rich. I don't consider that to be rich. I consider that to be middle class. Um, A recent statewide survey found 71% of registered voters support the Opportunity Scholarship Program and 61% support increasing the scholarship amount. We've talked with 
uh, various people over the years, Marcus Brandon uh, being the one most recently former Democratic lawmaker. He's a, a black uh, a black Democrat. And he's like, look, um, this my party is completely out of touch with black folk on uh, this topic. The, the support for voucher programs among blacks in America is huge and Democrats refuse to uh, to bend to this. And it's in service to the teachers union. I know. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Oh, the University of Arkansas is out with even more evidence that school choice is associated with improved student outcomes and that the constant demand from teachers unions for more money is actually not associated with improved student outcomes. Isn't that interesting? Just the idea, the concept of school choice being implemented as part of a, a, a you know, a county or a system. It's, it's, if it's there, if it's in the state, then you have better outcomes, which is what people like me have been saying from the beginning, right? Increased competition will raise quality. The research uh, uh, reviewed student outcomes as measured by the NAEP tests. This is the, you know, the nation's report card, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, NAEP. Um They looked at areas with high levels of education freedom and low levels of education freedom. And this study concluded, quote, we find that higher levels of education freedom are significantly associated with higher NAEP achievement levels and higher NAEP achievement gains in all statistical models. Now, of course, the unions and Democrats would say, well, you can't just measure a school or a teacher based on the tests. No, you you can't only measure it based on testing, but it's a pretty good measurement, right? You could use it as one measurement. And again, I point out the irony of people whose profession literally is to measure people's performance, um, them being unable to figure out a way to measure their own performance. (laughs) Um, Expanding parental options in education in all of its forms is consistent with improvements in average student performance for U.S. states. Expanding options is consistent with improvements in average student performance. If this is true, what does this mean now for people who oppose vouchers? Hmm? That's a tough question for them. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks for listening. Remember, subscribe, and uh, we'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.